I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This end of year, end of 2021 wrap up allowed our sort of four key panelists to talk through what's coming in, in the year. And we really did stay very focused on the needs of the market in the immediate time frame how people are reacting to cloud outages and security challenges, how the edge is coming up as more and more physical integrations uh, come in. I, I think of uh, automotive, healthcare, uh, I would add energy and energy uh, creation and storage, all very big topics that are presence edge related. And all those things are gonna be factors in our conversations for what's coming in 2030 uh, with some really intriguing ideas. And I encourage you to listen all the way through. This was a long conversation because we kept going and finding more things to talk about. And I know you will enjoy it. On the, on the premise that we don't have a, a, another mutation that's terribly serious and that it is um or and or we arrive at a situation with omicron that it's endemic as opposed to pandemic well yeah. what does that imply and if on the other hand we're still dealing with this does it make um, a big difference, and in what ways does it make a big difference for our, our predictions for 2020, 2022 regarding, you know, technology and, and our industry? What, what happens? Mm. All right, here's my hot take on that. Um, I think we are going to see a bigger shift towards reactive models and, and uh, at, um, we'll see better preparedness for contingencies. And not only, again, regarding the topic that we saw before, but also in, on, on tech. We, we've had several cloud outages in, in the span of a month. Uh, and I, I think there's going to be a bigger focus on the capability to lift and shift to a healthy provider or, or at least a healthy region than we saw before. Within same CSPs or across CSPs, mm -hmm. the migration? Um, I, I think that will depend on budget. Uh, smaller companies are, 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 are going to likely look at moving between uh, just moving between regions of the same CSP versus larger companies um, gonna put more effort into multi-cloud. Um, multi-cloud meaning what about the end is multi-cloud um, and do you draw a distinction between where you're doing compute? and where your data resides, how it's, how it's perhaps either replicated or, or backed up in, in, a, in a situation that avoids the, avoids the outages or, I mean, there, there seems to be in, in my mind a, a gap and there's now much more pressure for intelligent, mm -hmm. I would say intelligent and um, efficient multi-site, multi-cloud replication of data. Mm -hmm. um, it implies um, a lot of different kinds of services that the CSPs themselves almost have to offer, certainly within their own within their own regions, but they're going to have to, they're going to have a lot of pressure to actually do the kinds of interworking and interconnection that make intelligent 
I'll call it intelligent replication, data replication, possible across oh. CSPs. And this is a, a situation that I, um, you know, if, if I had to say one of the benefits of this kind of external pressure, um, if I had to identify one, this would be one because quite frankly, I would find this an incredibly important means by which to kind of proceed through the rest of the decade. Just to clarify, well, you're su you're suggesting that the CSPs are going to collaborate with each other to create multi like they're it's you're, the bird's going to follow them because I would I would expect them to spend a lot building multi-region feature sets like start making that automatic and that's what i was that's what i was saying they will spend a lot of time doing multi-region data replication and intelligent replication and and by intelligent it also means if it's not that intelligent they're going to have to drop the price and and you know make it possible for their customers to main, to retain to I I have to, a follow-up question. But the pressure is going to be on them from the so, Jane, did you have a point to make first? Because I had a follow-up question for Rich, but you were you sound like you wanted to say yeah. something. So what Rich is describing, I and Klaus started with, I call ICE. Intelligent composable enterprise. Ooh, I like it. And that will be the new architectural premise that will start to emerge towards the latter part of 2022, because two new things will enter the, the space. We now have the data plane and the control plane. Well, how about the how about the analytics and security planes, both of which are mandatory? More people are doing analytics. That's their driver for going to cloud. Security is no longer an if or when, or I'm just going to live with the services that I have. <laughs> I need a control plane dedicated to securing my infrastructure, my data, my storage. Mm -hmm. How that plays out could ultimately roll into another level in the OSI in my little pea brain, but that's ultimately. But right now, in this notion of the intelligent composable enterprise, you would in, you would see the introduction of those two planes. So let's say between um, uh, between devices on a shop floor, call it that, for the south side of it, you'd have a plane below called security which would deal with things like the 5G into the network and then the security around 5G into the factory floor, just as an example. So look at that as kind of a pipe, if you will, secured on both sides that then comes into the network plane. And that security plane supports the devices that could be hardware security, software security, but on the devices, the servers, everything else. Then you have a level above that between data and or between control and data called intelligence or analytics. So you're introducing those two, and this is a very big picture, composable architecture that deals with everything. Let me just finish the thought, Rich, from the device on the floor, through the layers of the servers, through the layers of the application, all the way up to uh, the streaming data coming from a trading partner. So well, you're managing I have a question. all the elements in composable form. I have Go ahead. And, and when you say analytics, are we talking yeah. about analytics? Are we talking about operational analytics? Or are you talking about the kinds of BI and you know, kind of analysis that lives on top of all of this? Um, both. They're going to be combined because in order to bring live stream data together with the historical and have an insight be created, those two things are going to have to come together. You can't have one at the bottom and one at the top. To, to add to and, that. And I'm already seeing that. Uh, the, 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with, with your last sentence there, John, like that we are already seeing um, sufficient cases where operational analytics are being co-opted into business intelligence because it gives you real-time feedback about right. the usage of the system. Yeah, okay. That that was that. Thank you, because it wasn't clear to me whether you were kind of whether your premise was that there was a distinction between them, and that's why I asked the, the question. You've clarified it. Thanks, and thanks also, Klaus. Just go, going back to, uh, again to, to your term, I, I, I like that that you said composable. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would also add to that uh, loosely coupled. Uh, well, to me, oh, okay. To, in, in my mind, composable is a, more akin to modular than yes. orchestrated. In other words, here's my, here's my box of Legos. I can put them together however I need to, which gives me the capability of adding um, on-demand redundancy, on-demand failover, extra security if I'm worried about something in particular, and the ability to pick and choose my cloud services, uh, whether they're you know a service from AWS or a service from Azure or a service from anywhere else, have those be containerized, let's say, uh, because they're becoming that way more and more, and keep my storage wholly wherever I want. So I can compose yeah. where I want to keep data based on geography or type or workload and or whatever. What that, what that implies in my mind, jo uh, Joanne, is a, I'll call it a, maybe it's a, a plane, but it's, it's the metadata plane that's being yes. spread across. And it's in that metadata that you have um, things like real-time update, things that are eventually consistent. You've got the possibility for intelligent replication and you using that metadata plane for things like policy, for access um, and so forth. So I, I kind of combined some of your separate Terms. planes into something that lives above your primary data it's a metadata layer. It's a, it, I'll, I'll call it a metadata layer for the time being. Anyhow, that's okay. that's where I that's kind of where I come down on it architecturally, and it's more it's more simplification than anything else. Um, my, my take on oh, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, what I was going to then say is, if the kind of pressure to make this happen actually goes up and, and the CSPs and the enterprises embrace it, it implies at least one other major piece part and that has to be solved. And that's going to put a, a barrier to its the speed of adoption or speed of development. And that's identity and authentication because that has to be that has to be nailed down extremely tightly for all of this to work in a way that governments and enterprises are willing to rely on it. Oof. Okay. You just to, threw in a big, go ahead. Just sorry to jump in here, but <coughs> just to defend my architectural premise, <laughs> um, think back to, conversations you and I have had and we have had as a group on the notion of authority. So in that, the reason I, I say a security plane is because I don't look at this as I'm locking down an app for a vulnerability. I'm locking down IAM, IAS, and all safety. parts of that security. It's a safety, it's a safety plane. <laughs> it incorporates security. It incorporates privacy. It incorporates authentication. It, you know, I, I completely buy into that notion. Yeah. And, and I, I take it from the point of view of hardware or firmware up. Yeah. 
think- which is why your notion of meta data, I sort of agree with and sort of don't, because to me, that's a little bit lower down. But irrespective of where we call, you know, how we design that little piece, I'm 100% behind you that I'm trying to make that not be a barrier. And that's the other reason I'm looking at it as being composable, because GDPR and, you know, our digital charter and whatever the U.S. Congress decides and NIST cybersecurity framework, um, et cetera, there's always going to be another one coming up. Yeah. yeah, I worked on it, so I'm I, I'm allowed to go. So but the, the, irrespective of that, the, the change, I didn't agree with it. Sorry. I see, the, the change I see though in composability is more about shifting away from the top-down model, because yeah. right now, when, when we look at composability, what we have right now in, in the cloud is you pick a cloud provider, you pick the, the various services that you want, uh, and then you create instances of those services. It's top-down. I see it shifting, not necessarily bottom up, but more of a sideways model, where mm. instead of having a central cloud provider or central domain, we now have multiple domains with with not full trust between each other, just enough trust. Again, the the, the whole concept of zero trust, but by taking it to the next level, like it's not just between systems now; it's now between domains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's continuing. If you want to talk about it, it, it safety and security becomes and has already in various parts of it become a continuous process as opposed to something that I do at the front or at the end. You know, when data or responsibility for something shifts from one you know, one steward to another. It is something that is continuous and it starts to show up the same way continuous testing and, and inter- continuous integrations have test, have shown up in, in the development cycle, development cycle. So yeah, I, I buy into it, Klaus. I absolutely- uh, and the, the one thing that I'm hopeful for, I, I'm really crossing my fingers on this is, is that this will eventually lead to easier IPv6 adoption. Because wow. all, all, of, all of this entire movement is moving towards the, the components being on the same plane, just again, loosely connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you no longer have your network, network segmentation. You, you're, you're nadding, et cetera. So, you again. You move, take it towards IPv6. Everything is on the on the same level, and it it and that that shows up in a couple of ways, including networks actually becoming a you know a full citizen in the development of applications, as opposed to something that is so locked down <laughs> and nailed down that you know. No one dares change a thing to it. Access rules, in particular, are becoming a full. Uh, I'm sorry. Like say a full again, yes, access rules. Ax- like like rule based access control, as opposed to again like onion this, and this layering. Is, this is part of what I think of as being uh, part of this. You know, this whole area around access, uh, policy authorization, and all of that being heavily dependent on a solid, trusted identity system. And, and Authority. We, yeah. Authority. And, and we kind of are already, I kind of see Kubernetes as, as, as leading on this, because in, in Kubernetes, the, like, the network policy access model is label-based. Like you, you don't say allow from this IP to that IP. You say allow components with these labels to connect to components on those labels on, on this port. If we take that, that approach and take it to the general network level, that, that makes our, our policies a lot more powerful and flexible. And we see that to, to some point already in, 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 in cloud firewalls as well. Sure. You, you, can, you can label your instances 
and, and then set up your 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 firewalls no, this based is, on, this on those labels. Clearly, this is clearly a you know kind of a fundamental basis on which service meshes of any kind are going to be built. Yeah. And I think your your the idea that it it's utilized in the micro kind of in a small kind of highly concentrated area or broadly across you know regions across applications across silos of, of data ownership and across csps makes sense to me yeah I, I, I'm glad can that i ask that... a question mm -hmm. would that be event driven only on demand, like I need it now and I need it for a period of time and then it cancels itself? Um, it it can. Um, we, I, I haven't seen many widespread, uh, widespread adoptions of event-driven policies yet. Uh, and so far, the, the focus has been on, 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 on rule-based policies, but there have been some inroads on, on, on event-driven Access control, particularly for things like, uh, again, uh, ad, like temporary admin access to to, right. to resolve issues. Uh, there, there's been several technologies that have been brought out over the past, I want to say, year or two, uh, that that work towards event driven, where, where you say, okay, I, you register with the system to say, okay, I need access, I need temporary access to this uh you, you get the access granted um it this is it's all certificate based so you don't need to upload public keys or anything else uh you get your access and after a certain amount of time some kind of ttl it gets revoked again or, or you refresh it uh into a hey. sense uh, in, in secret management you already see that like vault is like uh you uh, you, you have basically like a yeah there's a you, you have a the, Token to, to create another token, yeah, which which you actually use to access your system. You're relying on a built-in decay function or time to live function of some sort, and then the question is how how fine grained does it get to the point where it really is event driven and and done almost on a on an event by event basis. And I, yeah. I think that was what Joanne was asking. Am I correct? Yeah, because in my mind, one of the biggest issues that we all face with security in particular, and particularly with identity, is the constant connection doesn't really need to be there. It should be there on demand as an event. And if it's based on the event, you lower the statistical um, capability, the percentages drop in terms of how far a hack will get because not everything is connected all the time right. if it's driven by the event mm -hmm. even at a very granular level like a, tr a single transaction you can turn it on and turn it off within milliseconds and that reduces the risk yeah. and and that's that that's placing a lot of responsibility and a lot of trust in your network and the and the means by which you deal with networks and incorporate them into your applications. And quite frankly, the question is, can our existing network infrastructure deal with that? My answer is no. Um, to Klaus's point, a lot of IPv6. And when you consider the amount of networking and transfer that has to be dealt with that is within the data centers, within the clouds themselves, versus across multiple regions, across cloud services. Unless we've got a, a very different and very malleable for purposes of, you know, kind of modularity and on-demand, the loosely coupled uh, aspects, we're, we're not going to get there. So it does imply mm. a much stronger reliance on a 
malleable network, uh, you know, if we're going to call them, you know, network functions, network virtualization, I'm, I'm not sure where, where the, uh, where those bodies are buried, but. Um, I, I also want to, yeah. I also want to add that at, at the low level, uh, event driven um, normalization or, or, or authorization is we, we're, we're actually moving away from it as an industry at the low level. And that is because of overhead. When, right. when, when your event is just a couple of bytes, then, then if, if you do it purely event driven, like 100%, like every single packet authorized, you have the TCP overhead, you have the, the TLS overhead on that. And it's just untenable. This is why, again, developers are shifting towards things like WebSockets. Uh, and for the longest time, I, I, I was very miffed about that because it, it now a TCP uh, a connection is a complete black box to uh, to me as an as a sysadmin it's a dumb, it's a dumb uh, from from the HTTP proxy perspective. Um, mm. But again, this is also why I I. I, I drank the observability Kool-Aid. It's because I cannot look at the system from the outside anymore and tell what it does. I need the yes. system to start giving me internal metrics. Yes. And once you have those metrics, a means of making adjustments to the operation of this system at levels that actually reach down to the point of, of the network itself, if you need them. So I guess I should be careful with my second of four predictions that network as a service will come into being to deal with proximity, to deal with latency, to deal with the fact that IP networks actually cost large manufacturers more than Ethernet would and the security aspect mm. of that. But this is part of the reason that I what I asked the question of event driven. Well, actually, a question of clarification. When I I continuously get bottled up by the fact that people use this as a service moniker, <laughs> at least two very very different things. The, the, when you say network as a service, do you mean self-contained, API-driven, you know, use as, use as needed type of, of offering? Or are we talking about service in a different context with different, different commercial and, um, Terms of service and service level agreement. No, no, the first, not the the former, not the latter. Okay. And I refer to it as a service because more and more we're going to find that the use of networking requires so many different protocols and so many different parts of a stack yeah. that you need. We need to be more definitive in and controlling about what those protocols are, what the proximity needs to be, what the speed needs to be, et cetera, et cetera. You don't necessarily need 5G across you know, a, a company for all aspects, but you may need road M, you may need NBIOT, you may need IP6, you may need IP4, uh, the gigahertz will start playing it. in, all yeah. of those various are factors. Those, are each of those in your mind network services or do they create a, a, a composite which um and i'm gonna get myself in real trouble by saying this that sounds like network as a product not as a service mm. um i i have something that might tie okay. this together for you go ahead so and and this, this sort of connects all the way back through because one of the things I think that we're seeing and, and one of my questions is, have, have us having these hyperscale clouds actually had us, have those clouds sort of lost the motivation 
to do classic software integration. Meaning they're, they're, they're such, they're, they're, they're vendors and they're big silos and they, they do things that make their job easier. And yeah. being easy to integrate with is actually not making their job easier. Like they integrate across there internally, but not broadly. And so like, Rich, at the beginning of this, you, you actually asked a question like, you know, will they help deal with multi-zone things? And I think they will for their, their own. They have to for that. But they have no motivation to do anything to make it easier to do ad hoc, what I'm, what I'm calling ad hoc integrations. Right. And with Klaus, you were talking about this loosely coupled, right? Building things that are loosely coupled and composable, which to me are complementary. We've been calling that pipelining because people sort of understand I need to couple, I need things connected together, mm-hmm. right? The composable connected ends up for us, pipeline was the right way to answer that. But what, what I think we're in the middle of this transition of, and Joan, your point about the networking was, was exactly right. It's like, I need all these types of networking. What I really need is not a network as a service that hides all that behind an API, although that's the way the market right now wants to deliver it. What I actually need is all these different vendors to expose service integration points so that I can connect them together into a single control plane. That's composable. That is that, composability. Yes. Yeah. That, yes. The, the, yeah. The, the problem I think is that the vendors want this integration to be unidirectional. The, 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 the want, they want uh, consumers using their competitors to be able to adopt their product, but not vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it's 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 a one way valve, right? Um, no, that's- sure for lock in, but but I think w- what we're beginning to see, and is and and I think what's driving this, maybe from an unlikely source, it's not going to come out of the hyperscalers. It's not going to come out of the network providers, the AT and T's and Comcast and whatever, whatever, or Bell or Rogers. It's not going right. to come from them. What's going to drive this more than anything else? is automotive because there's so much in i would say that there's one other there's one other that that shows up here and that's going to be health that's going to be medicine and health yeah okay i i would absolutely agree with that but automotive will push it first simply because you need Hmm. all the telemetry you need the constant contact and each of the piece parts of the vehicle, code or not, or, you know, or encoded, meaning it's it's a piece of hardware, are going to need different types of communication mm-hmm. and communicability, and that's going to force them to start looking at this in a more significant way. Of even at a protocol level, I need a service dedicated to X. But Call it SCADA. Word force. It means that it's there's an, there are incentives and then there are kind of outside pressures and I think this yes to, to actually to to Rob's point it's the outside pressures it's the demand being placed on them by societies by economies whatever you want to call them that are going to make the difference here and. Those are the same pressures and requirements that are going to show up in the requests for Rob, multi-cloud, multi-site, all of all of the above. It, it is it is the demand going to going to make the difference here. Yeah. No, I I listen. My predictions tend to be a little bit ahead of the curve. I, you know, my 2020, 2019, 2020 prediction was voice. And it's increased threefold from what I predicted it would be. So I'm looking at this as 2022, but 2024 mainstream kind of thing, because it'll take time. But the way I'm seeing the standards, the way I'm seeing uh, model-driven and event-driven coming back into, um, what's the word, contemporary discussion um, from what it used to be. And the recent 
re-release of road M and other things of that ilk, where you're splitting off the type of traffic in networks to be more efficient and to be more manageable, as well as the security side. This is where I'm coming from with my, you know, composability networking as a service, um, the third and the fourth, just to put it in total perspective, is the creation of a digital canvas as opposed to a digital thread or a digital twin. You're creating a digital canvas, call it an industry cloud, uh, call it uh, an, a, a, a canvas where I'm thinking of it more like a needlepoint, not like a painter's canvas, right? Like a mesh or a grid. I call that a canvas as well, where you're going to have layers that are built in. Networking will be one, security will be one. For the purpose of observability, for observability and active management. And composability. The thread can be any color and can go from one, you know, this length to that length. It doesn't matter. Um, okay. Yeah, thread is the key. Okay. But right. but you're Canvas embedding the services right. that are needed for digital, not in mm-hmm. in in this sort of canvas capability that here it is, here is, call it the back plane of the control planes or or all the different planes that we're referring to. That back plane has services embedded in it. And that gets you, I think the cloud providers will go for that simply because of the fact that there's a cornucopia of services that are now compute and storage is kind of not so much anymore their thing. It's becoming that way, but you have the need for uh, proximity to remove latency. You ne- You have a bunch of new things that are coming up that if you provide the backplane with embedded services, these are the services, you can put your storage anywhere because that's a composability element. And what you need to actually run on that canvas are also composable. Then you have a way to control the events, the security, the authentication, all the IAS, IAC, IAM, know your customer, all the compliance stuff. That's in that backplane, that ma- that canvas, as I call it. When, when you talk about the canvas, are, are you seeing this as a single canvas or, or multiple canvases? Because what I see, what, what I predict is moving from, again, taking your terminology, one canvas to multiple canvases laid side by side and just drawing across them. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm thinking multiple because, and the reason I talk about it like a canvas that you do needlepoint on kind of thing rather than a painter's canvas is because you can keep adding and keep adding and keep adding. So as this notion of industry clouds for lack, forget about the word cloud being cloud services, but that that realm, that industry realm being uh, business partners, trading partners, supply chain partners, manufacturers, consumers, on and on and on. You can keep adding pieces to be to make that tapestry almost. I, I kind of see this uh, more instead of a canvas. I, I think that the analogy that I would use is you, you remember those big displays made of multiple TVs. Yes. Yeah. So I I, I see as that happening more with, with, with each TV being maybe a cloud provider or, or as an asset service provider, uh, just again, like the, the, the whole picture being being spread across multiple one of those uh, and with the bezels becoming thinner. Yeah. Well, the, the image that comes to mind uh, is, is you know, that's fresh in my mind is the way in which you construct a, a, an astronomical mirror out of a bunch of hexagons and then you know you deliver them as individual as, as individual units, but they fit one to another in a very nicely extensible um, kind of construct. And you're it, you know if you want to think of them as uh, 
maps or canvases that are, you know, like a quilt there that are kind of knitted together or knitted to yeah. one another. It's yeah. probably a, the big image stitched together are the smaller ones. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so you're thinking about the web telescope that just launched. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I see it that way too. The modularity is my version of composability, but it's flexible enough that if you wanted to take the lower left-hand corner and make it the upper right, you could. If yeah. you want to have a smaller you, one with a bigger it, one, you could you do that too. It to be a specialized seg right. you know, sector of the mirror that says uh, you're looking for a particular set of frequent, you know, electromagnetic frequencies. You want to, you have a different set of, a slightly different set of uh you know, kind of tunability, if you want to think of it. That yeah. Way. Yeah. Yeah. But each of the frames around those hexagons is that backplane of security services and network services and infrastructure to, as services. Both talk to one another in a, a you know, kind of exchange of information, but also uh, an agreement of control. Yes. For control. Yeah. Vibes. Yeah. Because what's missing in, in the control plane and the data plane now, as we look at them, is, in my view, anyway, is the flexibility for an ad hoc ad and the ability to create the redundancy that's needed. I mean, they're just too fixed in their horizontal planes. And required too much effort to reorganize. Yet the pace of change, the pace of business, and the pace of the need for data to be serviced at any level is more like a, I'm trying to think of what meter you would use for that, but you know, a sin wave, <laughs> even yeah. a cosine wave. Yeah. And, and that is what, what I was getting at with, with decoupling. And, and uh, just yeah. uh, instead of having everything on the same frame, just yeah, have them nearby each other, have be able to, to move from, from one to another or, or move data from one to another, but not have them codependent. Yeah. No, I think that's what the loosely coupled aspect is that, you know, is, is a very big part of it. The, the, yeah. the nature of dependency and again, you know, I, I'm going to keep harping on this one because nobody, nobody that I'm aware of is addressing it in, in anywhere near this way. The whole notion of identity. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you're going to, if you're going to have loose coupling, if you're going to have um, dependencies or observe a, a kind of the a means of determining dependencies and rearranging them in the event that there's some sort of a failure. Identity is critical. I mean, in all of these things, we're kind of taken it for granted. Well, I don't think we've taken it for granted. We've just, you know, conveniently ignored it in a great way because nobody can figure out quite how to solve it. You, you took the words of my mouth, Richard, and, and to add to that, portability of personal data. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I know we can export our email and import it in, on another provider, but it's a pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like it's a, moving your, your domain. And it is it's a pain. Yeah. And and just it, again, portability, it would be such a big boon for the consumer. Yeah. It's a pain that, also, it's it hard to justify, given the financial reward or the financial the, the compensations on any of the on, on any aspect. It's got to be considered on mass, and that very very hard to hard to figure out. So yeah, I I, I get it. I, I hear you. And that, that brings to mind um, 
several meetings ago, actually, more, probably more than a year, we, when we were talking about the adoption of new technologies, um, mm-hmm. somebody brought up like the, the 10x threshold so that <laughs> you move from an established yeah. technology to adopting a new one, typically like you need to have 10x the benefit. I would love for, for this decoupling, the, the, this decentralization, to lower that threshold. Not necessarily 1x, but, but let's say even, even if it's half that, 5x. You could get it to 5x as, as the acceptable determinant. Yeah. It's, it would be uh, twice as good as it as is now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I, yeah, I, I think that decoupling is not, you can't sell the, the benefit that you're looking for, can't just be the decoupling. You have to have another benefit. Uh, latency oh, yeah it's a, it's- right that that's the but that this is i mean this is something that we've been talking about because we're building fundamentally i'm getting better at boiling this <laughs> down connective technology right what we mm-hmm. do fundamentally is about connecting teams tools platforms together right that's mm-hmm. that that connective stuff um i would say also just- resiliency um <sighs> yeah there's, there's, I'm, I'm, there's well, when you talk about connection, um, yeah. what comes along with connection is um, its flexibility. The the the, the you know mm-hmm. having once made a connection is it its permanence, its observability, yeah. it, the stewardship of that of that connection. Who's responsible? Who's accountable? And it's mm-hmm. and the ability to re reframe it, reframe the connect the connection without tearing the whole thing down and you know reconfiguring and starting up starting it up again. It has to be reconnection or modification of the connection on the fly. Well, that's what what I see, and what the theme I take away from from this conversation is that there there is a market demand that we we perceive or market need to connect disparate systems together right whether it's from the edge per edge perspective because they are disparate disparate or from a resiliency because the cloud vendors are not proving as reliable as they they claim they would be or they're exactly as reliable as they claim to be and we're realizing that the perception and the reality here are finally catching up uh the but what we what we're what we're having trouble fitting on top of that is the that has to be easy enough to do that you don't you don't have a loss you, it, it can't right it can't be new to, to Klaus's point it can't be neutral it has to be i'm getting this uh more heterogeneous loosely coupled you know multi-vendor environment and it's a roi improvement it can't just be a, this to me is why people, the whole Amazon thing happened and people just shrugged because the cost of fixing that problem, yeah, it, they're not willing to pay the cost. It, it can't be neutral. It has, they have to get a benefit from fixing it or they're going to keep living with it. Well, um, but they will. It's because, well, sorry, it's like, I jumped in. It's like Go ahead. asking people to say, you know, to take into account the costs of, um bad climate change decisions you know and utilization of energy i mean yes if you have a if the people making the decisions and dedicating the resources have a broad enough or long-term enough view they would say yep absolutely it's 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 too damned important for us not to do it um, it's, but, a, it's, but, a, it's a time perspective. And this is, you know, to Joanne's point earlier, you know, we all kind of deal with over the horizon radar as to, you know, what we think is needful and what is likely to happen. And, you know, I, I the short term nature of this. I think Klaus is is you know kind of what you're talking about. If it's if it doesn't have to be 10x, if it can be 
on an immediate basis, less, you know, a small, a, 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 a smaller return, but over some sort of a longer term, you know, perspective benefits the, the, you know, the downstream side of it, that has to be, that has to be taken into account. That's, that's got to be taken into account with many. Okay, but hang on a second though. I, I, I have a bit of an issue with that because look at the number of companies and, and as a trend, if nothing more, uh, no other word to use for it in the last six months, how many companies, how many CIOs have said, we are paying too much for cloud? We're struggling with the <laughs> fact that the ingress and egress are costing them such a bloody fortune. Yeah. So yeah. right there, you have the business case to say, now you can do it in an easier, less complex, immediate return on investment I, way. I, I, if you'll go back, Joanne, I have been, you know, that's been one of my biggest soapboxes of all. Sure, time. I know. Yet the customer. I, I was just reminding you of it. Because. Out of, you know, uh, of the vendor yeah. and service provider, because without that, then they're, they are not incented or, you know, they don't have the right incentives to change the story. But that's right. also so where, where I, I see where the adoption of, of this de decoupled ecosystem would come from. Not so much from, from just it being decoupled, but, but again, going back to the, the word I said before, portability. Uh, like right now, the only, the only solution to resilience that we have is to double our resources. Like our, when we talk about resilience, we, we typically talk high availability. HA, we, we, we talk about having more than one system able to, to capable of handling the load. But if we can provide not 100% resilience, but let's say it's provide three, three, three nights of resilience, or even just two nights of resilience by, by being able to just say, turn this off, turn it on somewhere else. Call it and, and it picks up. It, as opposed to high availability, it's sufficient. And, it, and what that means is it's sufficient for the specific use that's being made uh, of, the, of the resource. Yeah, and the down, right. downtime reduction, not disaster reduction. Exactly. Like in the case of say the, the Amazon outage, you, if as a consumer I could say, Amazon is my preferred cloud service provider. So when it's available, I will run my workload there. But if it's not available, Within seconds, I can have my workload run on Google. And once Amazon comes comes back, bring the workload back. Yeah. And if it's and if sufficient is not seconds, but minutes, fine. Exactly. I'm willing, I'm willing to pay a different price for that. Yeah. Because a minute downtime is better than an hour downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, we we we've been blindsided by by this historical notions of five nights. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, we we know it's unattainable. Like it, 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 not not technically unattainable, but economically unattainable. Yeah, absolutely right. Which which goes back to my my notion of sufficiency. Sufficiency. Yes. Um, and it. One of the things you get with the late binding decisions with the composability is pulling together, constructing the services that are sufficiently reliant, sufficiently available, sufficiently. No, sufficient for the purpose. Exactly. Purposeful. Fit, fit to purpose as opposed yeah, to fit to, which which is which is why you know I I still go back to event because to me fit to purpose is driven by an event. I'm not saying I, I, I'm not married to it. I'm just saying my notion 
is fit to purpose, fit to situation, fit to demand. And all of it should be composable. I should be able to play, you know, build my rocket ship, now build it a truck yeah. whenever I choose. I, I have to admit that I'm having a, a problem making the connection between the, the heavy emphasis on event-driven and this kind of what you've just expressed as the value proposition. Hmm. Okay, in my mind, uh, an event is, if I put it in, in, in a very simplistic way, I need to send a purchase order to you in a cash-to-order situation. Yeah. That's an event. When I do it, it is time critical to my cash flow or to yours. All I need to send you is that invoice. The protocol I use, the speed at which it's delivered, what kind of network service I'm using to deliver it could be simply the ISP network service, not anything within the organization. I don't care if it's IP4 or IP6. I don't care if it's Comcast or AT&T. I do not care because all I care about is within a five-minute time frame, you receive it. Okay. That's an event. That To me, that's an event. And it's purposeful because I'm choosing to trigger that event. On the opposite side, I need as close to zero, zero trust on security, zero trust on latency. I'm triggering an event on the shop floor that's going to determine whether or not there's a product recall or my quality fits in stuff. I, 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 I now understand what you're saying. And I, I think I had too narrow a definition of what I was thinking of as an event. I was thinking of it much more limited to atomic, kind of atomic piece parts as opposed to a, <laughs> okay. We're, we're way over <laughs> Love yeah, the conversation, I, but. <laughs> but I, I, have, I have to jump here, but it, this has been a lot of fun. It's interesting. I like letting y'all just run. Good conversation. Cool. Always. Uh, I have pages of notes now. <laughs> With Buddy Toy. I got well, I'll, come, to, uh... I'll come back to it because I'm in the process of writing up this prediction of an ice. Because I happen to like. I like that. Sorry. Take a look at the Seagate model, by the way, of separating the storage from the compute. Ah. Okay. That's part of what drove me to start thinking about this as yeah. a predictive way. And also all the nonsense that's been going on with the CSPs, where edge is starting to fit into things in a more significant way, blah, 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 blah. You know, my, my brain works in many dimensions when it comes to this. So maybe, I'll send maybe, you drops. Maybe it's maybe it's the year of the edge. Well, I would say if, if our brothers come true, it might be be the year of the CDN because we need some glue to hold it all together. Uh, that is the likely story. I agree with that. All right, everybody. A very Happy edgy New Year. comment to make. Happy New uh, Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Have a great <laughs> next year. Bye you bye. too. All the best. Wow, that was a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground in, in a lot of circular themes, which I think is important because we keep coming back to this idea that we've been building infrastructure in a very consistent monolithic way, you know, hyperscale cloud providers for the last 10 years now, and the pendulum will swing. And I think we really did a good job discussing what would make that pendulum swing. Uh, what's needed, what's missing, and what the motivations are. If you like conversations like this, and if you're listening to me now, you do, please join us at the 2030.cloud uh, and be part of this. We want your voice in these recordings. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN. 
where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.